Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. Wasn't the first deal they built, I bet. No, no. I think the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey race fans, John Dodson here from NASCAR Technical Institute. NASCAR Tech is open and enrolling with classes starting every three to six weeks. In our 48-week automotive technology program, students learn everything from vehicle electronic technology to diagnostics and drivability. And as our exclusive educational provider for NASCAR, we offer a 15-week NASCAR elective where students learn engines, fabrication, aerodynamics, pit crew essentials, and more. NASCAR Tech also offers 36-week welding and CNC machining training programs so you can choose the path that best fits your career goals. Ready to see how you can get started? Visit uti.edu slash NASCAR today. NASCAR Technical Institute prepares graduates to work as entry-level automotive service technicians. Some graduates who take NASCAR-specific electives also may have job opportunities in racing-related industries. NASCAR Tech is an educational institution and cannot guarantee employment or salary.
Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. I was going to work with Junior Johnson. He had a way of really getting on your butt but you respected him while he was doing it. And it had a line that went up into the, this was down at the frame rail, and it came up by the radiator, around the loop that was around the front of it, back down roll bar over here, and, and <laughs> sprayed right into the, into the air cleaner. So you do whatever you gotta do. I mean, that's what we did. All of us did that. All of us independents, we were all in this together. Whatever we could do to get in the race, we did. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hey, this is Rick Houston, and welcome to this episode of the Scene Vault Podcast presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace and a track that truly cares about NASCAR history. We released what would have been this week's episode on Saturday in honor of Pete Wright and in memory of his son, Adam. That's just something that I wanted to do for Pete. And now there's something I want to do for those who enjoy our show. Wednesday is drop day. That's the day everybody has always been able to go to their favorite podcasting platform and or YouTube and either download and listen or watch the latest episode and enjoy. I hate the feeling of going to the mailbox, expecting something to have been delivered and it not being there. I didn't want anybody to experience that on Wednesday morning. So here you go. This is a preview of what's coming up next in the interview with Pete Wright. And then our next guest, DK Ulrich. First up, here's Pete on getting hired and then working with Junior Johnson. How did you get over to Junior's? Was the money problem at Hagen really getting to you at that time? No, no, okay. it really wasn't. It was just the fact that I was going to work for Junior Johnson. And to this day, I'll tell you right now, that's the best. I worked for Rick Hendricks. Rick Hendricks is a great guy. But that place was so big, it was unbelievable. Everything that Junior Johnson did, everybody knew about it. He involved his team in financial, you know, especially me, Brewer, Mike Hill. We was all and Beecher Hatton. We was always involved in what was going to happen. If we hired somebody, we're going to hire somebody. We all had to kind of give our input on that person. Like when we started the twenty-two team. We, you know, hired uh, uh, Flash, the shoemaker, you know, Tony Shoemaker, and different people like that. And we all gave the input on each one that we hired at that time. But that was just the way Junior operated. And, uh, but no, as far as going to Juniors, it had nothing to do with money. It was the fact that I liked Daryl, I liked Mike Hill, and at that time, Jeff Hammond was there. And me and Jeff really had a good relationship. And Brewer was there. 
you know, he didn't race. He was racing Neil. And uh, that's the main reason I went there. Who was the Junior Johnson that you knew? Junior had a way. I spent a lot of time. I, I used to go uh, coon hunting with him. I'd go up there and run. It was times I'd run a bulldozer for him. It was time we'd go and pick up rock. It was time we'd go get up hay, everything, you know. Junior was Junior. He was the type of person that he had a way of really getting on your butt, but you respected him while he was doing it. We went to uh, Richmond, brand new car. Terry Labonte was driving. We are actually either leading the race or running second. We're running good. He comes down the front straight away. A header breaks off. Blows out the right rear. He backs the car on the wall. Brand new car. And it hurt her. Next morning, we at work. Stripping the old car. Here, Junior comes. And we hadn't won no races for the last four or five weeks. And... Uh, he comes in there, he looks at the car, and then he looked out. He said, let me tell you all something, boss. He said, I don't never want to hear y'all talk about drivers anymore. Because for some reason, y'all can't give them the right kind of car to drive without crap breaking, which is the exact words he used, and causing them to lose races. He said, when y'all learn to do that, then we'll start talking about what kind of driver we got. But until then, y'all need to work on what y'all doing. And we were like, holy cow. He basically told us we didn't get our crap together. He's going to fire us. And uh, then he says, okay, who all wants to go eat? <laughs> so we crawled up in the Suburban. There was one of us. Yeah, we're going to eat with you, Junior. <laughs> And we went over to Barney Hall's because that's when Barney Hall had a little, over at his golf course, he had a little restaurant. And his mama did a lot of cooking. And his sister did cooking. But they had the best pinto beans and cornbread you could ever eat. And we used to go in there and eat. Where was that? It was was across the road on 421. I cannot tell you exactly. It was past Klingman. Yeah, I've been there. Okay. Uh, it wasn't that far from Junior's. It was about a 15-minute drive, probably. It was more or less back behind, remember Junior building that big mansion? Yeah. It was more or less back in that area. With D.K. Ulrich, we struck the mother load. I sat down with DK in our studio at the NASCAR Technical Institute in Mooresville, and about two hours later, we got up. The interview finished, and DK didn't hold anything back. 1978 Southern 500 at Darlington, he got caught up in a terrible crash with Grant Agcox and David Pearson. He's got a story about that, but when NASCAR officials started snooping around what was left of DK's car, They got a little bit of a surprise. They discovered a nitrous oxide system and promptly suspended DK for 12 weeks, basically the rest of the season. And you know what? 
That wasn't the only time DK did what he had to do, in his words, to make a race. You talked about getting some attention. From that point, how did you find out about what NASCAR had found on the car? They discovered a nitrous oxide bottle. How did you find out that they had found something? Bill Gasway called me in the hospital. In the hospital. And that was probably two days later. And if you remember Bill, Bill Gasway, he was like, uh, he wanted to be like Billy France. I mean, he was, he was very uh, in charge. And, and when he said it, it was cast in stone. And he just called me up and he said uh, that, that the car had been broken half in front and the, the line was showing and we had to dig into it and find it. We found a nitrous bottle. And we're going to give you a little vacation, five thousand dollar penalty, and I was out for the rest of the year. That was in September. So that was a big hit to me. How long had the bottle been there? Because from what I, again, what I read, you said that it wasn't hooked up; that it had been in the car for quite some time. I might and it have was... said that, but but it was hooked up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, and. And we, I put it in in a, in the um, in a frame rail, and then left it where you turn it on. I made it where it looked like the bolt, the head bolt, like a, a three quarter uh, head bolt, and, and that's all you saw in it was was down by the frame, and it was right where there was another bolt going somewhere, you know. And all you had to do is put the wrench on it, turn it to turn it on, and we could do that. It was only good for qualifying, you know. It really wasn't doing anything to for performance during the race. But, you know, you just turn the bolt the other way and go race and see it later. And it had a line that went um, up into the, this was down at the frame rail, and it came up by the radiator, around the loop that was around the front of it, back down roll bar over here, and, and <laughs> sprayed right into the into the air cleaner. Wow. And, when you, and there was a solenoid that I could hit in the car with a regular switch where it said the alternator, you know, I could, Flip that switch, and you get about uh, maybe 30 seconds of, of nitrous oxide straight in the motor. And, I, for example, at Rockingham, I wasn't going to make the race. It's the second day qualifying. I said, I'm going I'm to blow the nitrous oxide. And I go around and take the green, take the one and two, and then as soon as I could do it, I hit it on the back stretch. And a car goes way out like this here, you know, and, and I hang on. I'm not letting up, you know. And I, I just went like that and got all the way down into three and four and got fast time of the day. That's all it was for. I, I'm not trying to cheat anybody. I just need to get in a race, you know. Yeah. And and that's I, I didn't have the horsepower, and so you had to um, you had to get some. So you were basically just trying to get to where the front runners were at the time. I just want to get in a race okay. or anything, yeah. you know. And and sometimes. Um, I mean, we did all kinds of things. I I, I made tires. Uh, I made tires by taking the taking the right side tires and the left side. I take the left side tires and grind the number off of it. And they're about that big, like that. Say whatever it was on it. And then you take the um, well, you take the left side tires and 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 it, you take the right side tires and make a put bondo on that thing. And then when you pull the bondo off, you have like a. Um, uh, what do you call it? What, what, an imprint. Yeah. Imprint. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you take that, and then you take left side tires, and get the number, number, and put black silicone in where that was. And you put this bond back on it, 
and then it let it dry and take it off. And now the left side tires have the right side number on them. And so when you go to qualify, you can just put them right over there. And I'll tell you how, how much I did that is that Harry Hyde had the shop next to me over at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And whatever year it was that Lenny Pond drove for him, they won the, um, at the time they had like a challenge where the guy that won the most pole positions won something. I don't know what it was they did, but they, they won it with my tires. Wow. Harry Hyde made a deal with me, and I made a deal with him. <laughs> and we got real tires from him. If I make a set of tires for him so that he could win the pole, and then during the race they'd shoot tires to me so that we, could, we had something to run. That's, that's a little deal. We made no money. Just Yeah, uh, just helping each other out. That's yeah. it. That's it. And, and uh, uh, getting competitive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have, we have nitrous, we have tires. Surely there was a wealth of other things that, that were going on at that time. Oh, yeah. There was, but, you know, the, the, the inspections weren't anything like they are today. Right. Well, they got everything today. You're not going to get away with anything. But I took in my, in my car, I want to be able to seal it off in the front where they allow that now. I mean, they can put tape all over everything and then do a race. They didn't allow you to block it off in the front. So I took a, uh, uh, like a, a thing you have on your, uh, in, in your house that you open and close it, and they go like this here, and they, and they go like that. Okay, I don't know what that's called, uh, but a regulator that you have somewhere in your house. You know, I took two of those, put them together, put them behind the grill that you could, I could move it with a cable, and I could open it or close it however I wanted to. You know, and, and, wow. And so we were blocked off when we qualified. Nobody else, I don't know how many other guys had something going on like that, but but it was hidden where you couldn't see it. You could see it easily if you're going to take it apart and look at it. But, but it was you know it was clear in the front. You look in there, it looks good, and and that's all they ever did. You know, and then so I go out and I can block off when others couldn't. We did that really to get in the race. It was not not something you use all day. You know, it's just something you would use in the race to get in it, and not in the race in the qualifying to get in the to, to make it in the race. However you could, and we did everything from. Uh, soaking the tires. I ran them all the time. I ran the wrong tires on the car just to get in the race. But then when, if you get in the top 10, they, they confiscate your tires. They wouldn't do anything with them. They just throw them in a pile over there. But you had to start on those the way it was in that day. So you really didn't want to finish, qualify in the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to be in the top 20. <laughs> and so you do whatever you got to do. I mean, that's what we did. All of us did that. All of us independents. We were, uh, we were camaraderie. We were, we were all in this together, you know, and whatever we could do to get in the race, we did. Hey, this is Michael Fatback McSwain. Hello, I'm Phil Parsons. Hey, race fans, this is Shauna Robinson. This is Will Cronkrite. Hey, I'm Dylan Hart Jr., and you're listening to the Scene Ball Podcast. Hello, Scene Vault fans. This is Brian from Speedway Screens. And if you're enough of a NASCAR historian to be listening to this podcast, there's a good chance a piece of the past you've been on the hunt for is in my shop. I'm constantly on the hunt for apparel and collectibles from all genres and eras of motorsports. So whether it be cup cars, dirt modifieds, dragsters, or monster trucks, I've probably got something for you. 
Check out my inventory at speedwaytsj.etsy.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens for the newest items as soon as they drop and for a peek at what I keep for my own collection. As a special thank you to listeners of this show, just enter SCENE at checkout for 10% off. Speedwaytsj.etsy.com That's speedwaytsj.etsy.com So there you have it. Pete Wright, DK Oric, and what you can expect from our next few episodes. Don't worry. Steve will be back next week giving me a hard time, as always. 